You love her. I love her. Monica Perez, welcome back to the show. Hey, Buck. It's always a pleasure. I'm super excited. I get your invitation. And as you can see, I'm traveling. So I don't accept such invitations lightly, but I would never oh, say no to you, Buck. I'm honored. Thank you. Yeah, I, I, our mutual friend and mutual video producer on my end, Bobby, I could tell you were out of town by your Instagram. And I said, <laughs> I said, I think Monica's out of town. I was going to ask her on. He's like, hold on. I think she'll still do it. And then here we are. Yeah, because I'm not driving my like mom SUV. I'm driving like a 2001 S10. Okay. Did you see okay. that was on my Instagram? Like I a saw, taxi cab yellow S10. Yes. Yep. <laughs> and I saw your mom on there. Oh, yeah. My mom and loves a, the truck. Yeah. A great picture of you as a young mom with your baby holding up. What a beautiful photo. Yes, I have this. This is my first son who was born with Down syndrome. I was, that is so cute. And... This was everybody's favorite picture because I was so sad when he was born. I did not know he had Down syndrome and I had actually gotten a false negative on a prenatal test. So they said two different doctors said, well, there's no chance this child has Down syndrome. So when he oh. was born, I was shocked and devastated. And I was like, I don't even want the test. My husband wanted the test. I was like, I don't want to. I cannot. If there's a false negative, I'm going to fall apart. And I did fill apart like you wouldn't believe it. And this is one thing I remember is that like my whole life I had plenty of ups and downs. I could always look inside myself and find, you know, get a grip on those bootstraps and get, and I mean, I looked inside myself and it was a black abyss. It was just an abyss that I was falling. It's like that man, you know, a madman. And he's just in the intro yeah. of man, just yeah. falling, falling. It's just, I never had experience like that before in my life. It was scary to people who knew me. I didn't get dressed for three days. I could not remember my own address. Like I had real physical symptoms of shock. But this short time later, you see, he's still a little baby. Yeah. I got a coupon for a $45 session at the photographer. And I had literally like nothing, my little Target t-shirt or whatever. And I got the pictures and I sent them around and people were calling me like crying with joy because that wasn't even the best picture, but they could just tell that I was going to be okay. And it was. Because I had only just worried that like I wouldn't be able to have a relationship with him. I wouldn't love him and he would be a lot, a lot of work and I would get bitter serving somebody I didn't love. Mm, but okay. I immediately just, it wasn't immediate. That's the thing. It's like you think you're going to fall in love the minute this baby's born. And I was like, mm, looks like there's something wrong with this kid. <laughs> you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I, by then, like everyone knew it was going to be okay. Awesome. Well, that's a good, a happy ending. It's, I have heard of those tests that they do to check for that kind of thing. Yeah. And the parents I know, well, now you, of someone with Down syndrome, there's no way they could, I mean, I think they're being honest with me, but there's no way they could look back and go, oh my God, I should have taken care of this problem before it was born. The kids are so full of happiness and joy. And there's almost like an, a certain innocence or something maybe that none of us have that they do. And it's kind of admirable, like, man, they're like yes. better than us at some points. If They're worthwhile. And mm -hmm. that's something that is hard to believe. I would never have believed it if I did not experience it, that they are truly worthwhile. Like they demonstrate, they model a kind of innocence, a kind of selflessness or like ego-free mm -hmm. existence that is genuinely worthwhile. And other things too, like my son is really humorous. Mm -hmm. really genuinely humorous so like there's really not a day it goes by that i don't really laugh and maybe it's because your expectations are lower for when he says something clever like 
humor is about surprise. Like he always makes me laugh in that way. And then another thing that I noticed was, so at the, my absolute, the times of my greatest immersion in the rabbit hole and you can't trust anyone and even people when I used to work on the radio station, I'd be like, no, that guy's uncle's in the CIA. Like, I don't know if I can even, he acts like he's interested, but but if you, even if you're like flirting with just true paranoia, like, you know, this kid is what you see is what you get. He loves you. You can trust him. He's incapable of guile, incapable of it. And it's just, it's really cool to experience, but he's very articulate. Mm-hmm. The thing that I was worried about is that these kids often are not very articulate. I didn't mm-hmm. think I could deal with someone who couldn't express himself in words, and God did not give me that challenge. So I feel like I'm super lucky because he's so awesome, and I feel bad. Some are, I used to feel bad for some of the other parents, right? Just felt like didn't have such an awesome kid. Mm-hmm. And my husband was like, when are you ever going to learn? Like, people think that about you. Like, you just stop. Like, stop thinking, feel bad for other people. Like, they're walking their path and you're walking yours. And trust me, like, people feel bad for you. (laughs) And I'm like, Mm. they shouldn't. Mm. Yeah, to that point about you could get feeling so weird or black-pilled or negative about life or such and look at him and it's not there. I was once on, I've never told this story on here. I was once on a plane that was supposed to land in Paris. And the one detail I didn't know is that there's two airports in Paris. So having said that, I could see what I thought was the only airport far away. And little did I know, we're landing also at an airport. And But it's a field all around it. So it looked to me like we were going down in a field. And I was like, this is oh, so strange. Wow. Now, all of that to preface the actual thing that did happen made it worse in a moment. So we're about to touch down. And all of a sudden... One wing tips towards almost touching the ground and then boom, back towards the other way, like a seesaw, but a horizontal seesaw. And then we go back up almost in a direct line upward, like you can imagine. Wow. And I was like, we're about to die. Yeah. And I looked next to me and there was this like six-year-old girl who had absolutely no clue what was going on. She was just sitting there smiling. And I thought, you know what? I'm going to put myself in her mindset. She doesn't care. I won't yeah. care. Yeah, nothing and to worry about in the moment. In the moment, yeah. So it turned out we hit some kind of jet stream from another uh, wake turbulence or yeah. something. Yeah, it was crazy. And then we, and of course, they're saying all of this in French. So I had to ask someone, what's going on? Yeah. What are they saying? But I yeah. was going to say, I bet it was not an American no. airline because U.S. run commercial jets are, I would say, perfect. Yeah, perfect. so far, so, knock on wood. <laughs> Yeah, I was where I used to, I started to get nervous about flying and then I like saw the stats. So anything that happens on a U.S. commercial jet, I'm like, that was a setup. And I'm telling you every single time in the past 15 years, at least, it has not stood up to scrutiny. And that's why when they're like, we need to redo the FAA, I'm like, please don't. Mm -hmm. It doesn't cost that much. Even if you're double wasteful, it's perfect. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And that's how come I know government is not incompetent because they can do that. Yeah. And there's like 40, 50,000. I remember on 9 11, they suspended 44,000 flights in one day. So I'm sure it's more than that now. And it's perfect. Yeah. That is a good point. Yeah. You know, some of the libertarians listening are going to read a little bit like, it's, wait a second, that's a government agency. You can't yeah. possibly say it's they're annoying. Good. Yeah. I know. But the way I look at our ideology now is technology has progressed to the point where in order for production to 
meat consumption at any kind of normal comfort level, we can afford so much inefficiency, shrinkage, loss that you could be Sweden, you could be Estonia, you could be the U.S., you could be any, like they act like they have different economic systems, which I would say we all have like 50% tax rate, whatever. But whatever philosophy, like people can just live a middle class, lower middle class, whatever, a lice free mm, lifestyle. That's, an <laughs> just, that's all yeah. like for me, I just think back when, you know, when I was a kid, I used to have mosquito bites all over the place and you'd have to go to the store to get calamine lotion or caladrill. Yeah. Yeah. And like it wouldn't always have it. And I didn't have a car and it'd be two in the morning and I was a little kid. Like my life is just miserable. And the the delta between like physical discomfort and lower middle class living, which is basically what I'm experiencing like this yes. day, is miles apart. And I was just saying to my mom, well, I'm at her house and I was just telling her about this super cool resort I stayed in in Morocco one time. It was amazing. It was amazing. And by the time we got from that lobby to the room, I asked my husband if he could cancel everything for the rest of the trip and just like keep us in that hotel until we were ready to go home. And I said to my mom, in all honesty, she's 94 and you know, I'm telling the truth, I would much rather be sitting there watching Murder, She Wrote with my mom, drinking in Manhattan, than if I could transport back to that hotel. Oh. And yeah, because it's, and you know, it's true. She's 94. Like if I go out with her, people will stop me and just be like, you're so lucky. I know. Mm. <laughs> you know, because people miss their moms. Yes. And it's the relationships that really matter. And I just, so I feel like, you know, and the economic measure isn't the only right. thing. Like, yes. And I feel like it's used as an argument because I'm so black and white. I'm so mathy. Maybe there's more, like more guy libertarians than girl libertarians because yeah. guys maybe are, I think, statistically speaking, they're mathier. And I'm like super mathy. So I could just dig in and dig into Rothbard and Hoppe and everything. Just dig, and it never ends. It's like Catholicism. It's like never ends. Like I can always find another question and another answer and no question goes unanswered and it's logical. It makes sense. You can think about it. It's, but why I didn't do great in law school is that I realized that, or you see in that, which is human society, whatever, there's like something in there. There's like a, I don't believe in like black matter or whatever they call it like mm -hmm. that, but there's something in there in human relationships that isn't just math and truly great jurists, judges. Yes no understand it and i couldn't like i would never be a good judge i'm a good lawyer i would be a good advocate oh, okay but i wouldn't be a good judge because i can argue my side and i can win even when i'm wrong mm -hmm, <laughs> you know mm -hmm. so i just feel like the strictly bean counting approach yes to government which i even don't like when they're like you'd be a great ceo as president it's like that's not even what they're supposed to do but we get i think it's a little bit of a trap and uh, yeah, I do too. And I was just having this conversation on my last episode. One of the issues I have with libertarian legal framework per se, I mean, we don't really have that, but if you were to have the society based on the non-aggression principle, is that a lot of libertarians look at aggression only in the physical material sense. And so, yes, theft or assault or murder certainly is aggression, but within that thin framework, bad actors can technically not aggress against you physically and materially, but do certain things to degrade your entire society where they didn't really lay a hand on you. And then you're left going, well, 
I guess I can't really stop this. They haven't violated the non-aggression principle. And so, for instance, one of the girls that was on the show lived in San Francisco up until just a few years ago. And she was talking about the outflux of population because the society is so disgusting and there's people defecating on the streets and shooting up. It's an open air drug market stuff. You wouldn't, if you had kids, you wouldn't want to walk them through that. And technically you could say, well, they're not violating the non-aggression principle. So live and let live. And it ruined the city. And so that non-personal aspect and the relationships and stuff that you can kind of color in between the legal lines is not there all the time with libertarianism. Okay. If you want to go down that example, I can answer that without blaming libertarianism. Oh, okay. Yeah. I so, saw you writing down like crazy. As yes, I, I write some down. I know yes. it's kind of funny. But our regional friend, Bobby, said, you know, people think you're not paying attention because you're not looking at them. So I try to tell people, like, you see the blue pen. Writing oh, stuff yeah. down. I do the same thing. I yes. write them all throughout my interviews. Yeah, because I'm an interrupter and I have to like write it down so I don't interrupt. So I would say aggression does include fraud and deception. So that is not a physical aggression, but it's definitely something you defend yourself against. I don't know if you're going to defend yourself against it with, I can't think of a circumstance where you would necessarily do that with a physical response, mm-hmm. with a violent mm-hmm. response. I don't know about that, but... Mm-hmm. I'm going to address your particular example, but then I have, I'm going to prove your point with a different example, with a different point. So I would say that's tragedy of the commons. And it's because there's public land and there's corruption Mm -hmm. of government. So Mm -hmm. this is something that's very like new for me. But A, I would say the libertarian answer would be those are public lands. Right. And they shouldn't even exist if everybody had private property. If everything were private property, then those people wouldn't be on there, whatever. But then you could say, and this is where what I'm rethinking, and I'm not, I'm not standing behind it because I haven't, like, I, I can't fully get it. But I think when I studied Hoppe and Rothbard and all of that, there was an assumption inherent in that that I did not realize was an assumption, which is all government has always been pathocratic. All government has always been exploitive, yeah. has been corrupt. And as I've been trying to think past this, by coincidence, a priest who listens to me sent me this book, The Church and the Libertarian. Mm. It's about that by? Catholic social teaching by Christopher Ferrara. Okay. And so that, that book doesn't believe in welfare and public transportation. You think that anything that says social teaching, that if they're not a libertarian, they're, they want a safety net. That is not. Safety net is unchristian, in my opinion for both the giver and the recipient. They're stealing your money that you should want to give. You should tithe or whatever. But in that case, even if there should be public places, it's a corruption of government. It's a corruption of government. So I was looking to these 15-minute cities and they said they stopped when they approved new buildings. They stopped assessing traffic impact and they just assess total miles driven. And we all know that it, that a mile driven at a one hour, one mile yeah. an hour, is a disaster for you, for the community, oh, for the environment. Right. It's the wrong thing to do. And they're doing it because they want to increase the traffic. Because, And they say that. They want to make it unbearable to have cars in cities. But yes. I would like to say that what they're doing by making that choice is dereliction of duty, that as government, they have that responsibility. But as a libertarian, as an ANCAP, I can't say that that's the government's responsibility. My answer as a libertarian would be there should be no public roads, which are fine with me. Like, that's what happened with that. 
I don't know, it was like Portland or whatever, when they had all these people, there, there was public land, like, if, yeah. and people had businesses that needed protection because there are that the government basically requires you to have quote post roads. You cannot have land that isn't accessible. Mm-hmm. So by public road, basically. So you have to be protected from access, which you would in a private society. But it's possible. I mean, I don't think we're on the precipice of a private society. I no. don't think, yeah, right. that, that the crisis that we're in right now is going to break towards, I don't think our options are ANCAP or no. world government. I think right. they're world governments or smaller government, you know, mm-hmm. less than world government. Like there's just no, we're not on the brink of peaceful anarchy. We're just not. And they're making sure, you know, the propagandists and the academics and the politicians are making sure, in my opinion, that the left gets the right to believe they're going to cut their daughter's tits off. Yes. So if they just said, I want to be gay, you'd be like, I don't care. We've all said that. We don't care. It's. I think we're post-racist, basically. You know, yes, you have pockets of people, but yeah. I was raised not by liberals, and it still horrifies me that things like race and sexuality are like topics of conversation. I'm like, can we just please look at each other as individuals and share are we past this but they're bringing it back so that the right has to react so we're not on the precipice of a peaceful anarchy like and even if it is the correct way the natural way i'm not sure because maybe simply because there are people who want to rule we mm-hmm. need to accept that there will be rulers yeah but some people would say people want to be ruled and that's why we have correct. to accept that they're rules. so but whatever if you accept the premise of government. And that's why I think the libertarian thing can, and I still totally believe it, like I'm probably going to get a little black, but I try to be honest about my journey and that I feel like it could be a little bit of a trap because what you do is, and in Catholicism it's called the Benedict Option, there's books on it, people are doing it. Yeah, just check out, be a home center, check out. I totally agree. Totally agree. That's awesome. That's great. Save yourself. However, if society and government, whatever, are so intolerable that you have to step out i think you're forfeiting and mm. and i feel like i hate government. it's so easy because i hate government because i'm a natural libertarian i don't like it i don't want to rule i don't want to be ruled i'm well behaved i try to help people who are less well off who i know are good people like aren't taking advantage of me whatever so i feel like if you have libertarian tendencies and like voting is ridiculous i never i do it i vote for ron paul every time because when I was on the radio, I kind of got in that habit because people would, you know, I don't want to have that argument. Like, if you don't vote, you don't vote. Yeah. So my mother literally just said, I say, if you don't vote, you don't have a right to say, I'm like, come on, are you kidding me? You're perpetuating the system. But at the same time, there are people crapping in the street in San Francisco and saying, like, I'm going to not vote and wait for anarchist utopia. Right. I just, I'm not sure that's the right answer. So now I have to struggle with this book, The Church and the Libertarian, for example, which is society, I mean, it's fucking, it's too much because it's like bothering me. And the other book I'm reading, The Milner Fabian Conspiracy, is it just bothers me that we have to go down these paths. I've done this before. I've tried on being an agnostic. I've tried on being an atheist. I've tried on being a socialist. I've tried on being a communist. Not like active, but just like in my mind, walk around with the mindset that, okay. hey, if we just give people money, They'll work when they can. And like, hmm. in literally that one lasted like a week. You know, like I was like, yeah, that's ridiculous. That's not happening. So I have to try on these really uncomfortable thoughts. And in both of those cases, it is 
that culture, shared values, and goals, like your physical society, your legal structure, your behavior, everything in your world needs to basically have some cohesion. Mm -hmm. And if it's social, like social Sweden was fine. I mean, it wasn't what I wanted. They were right. rich. There's no opportunity for someone like me. But I have Swedish friends who are like, yeah, we kind of all think the same way. We like look alike. We think alike. Like we're, I don't know, maybe there was like one Neanderthal just spewed all the Swedes. I don't know. But they're, again, that's no insult. Like I just think, blah, you know, like whatever. It's just kind of a joke. Yeah. <laughs> my friend is very high, like Neanderthal rating on her things. So they had that cohesive culture. And right. then, so... Whose idea was it to bring Iraqi and Somali immigration to Sweden when there's a civil war in Ukraine that's been raging for nine years? So right around the corner, they could have gotten people that have a much closer alignment. Mm -hmm. Much less. So then you have a culture clash. It's a word. It's not a racist word. It's a real word. It really happens. Yeah. And there's a Catholic writer, Christopher Dawson, I want to say, from the mid-20th century, who asserted that a country or whatever that has eclectic, or was this Oswald? Oswald Spangler. Spangler. I don't know why I'd say that. But who said, like, if you have, they, they both had the same idea, which is if you have mixed religions or if you have even mixed architecture, yeah. Spangler thinks everything's math. If you have mixed eclectic architecture, it's the sign of a civilization in decline, mm -hmm. even if prosperity is rising because you're working at cross purposes. I mean, you see that in my own family. Like I see that with my daughters gets these ideas off of TikTok. They're like, I don't want to pay for you to go to school to empower you to be this person that I'm trying to, you Fight know, against. neutralize. Right. Yeah, right. <laughs> so I don't like that. And the best we can hope for, it's like when two people is Democrat or Republican, they're married and they just decide not to vote. Mm. Because I could vote for Trump or I could vote for Biden, but we might as well just not vote because yeah. we just cancel each other out. Like that's yeah. the best you can hope for. And so in, in these cases of these books, like in, in the Church of Libertarians about a religious basis for society and the Miller yes. thing, it's it like indigenous peoples. And in that case, he's talking about like French people. <laughs> you know? uh -huh. The indigenous people, like they have a history on the land and everything. And then that culture, in this case, religion or whatever, should inform the legal structure, yes. which, of course, controls, directs, shapes behavior. Mm -hmm. So like for abortion. You know, if it's a Catholic country, they're going to have no abortion. And yeah. and even in the book, it's like you don't even have to prosecute abortion. People with other religions can live there. No problem there. There's no persecution at all. But they're not allowed to proselytize. Mm. They're not allowed to propagandize against your value system. Mm. I'm not suggesting that. I'm just saying, like, I, I'm thinking of the most radical position because it's just like when I discovered anarcho-capitalism, I thought, like, there was a time when you couldn't question the existence of God. It was just unthinkable. And now it's unthinkable to question the necessity of government. And then now I'm thinking it's unthinkable to realize separation of church and state. Like, why did that have to be a thing? Like, I'm not saying it shouldn't be, but I'm just saying, like, don't we want to question some of the assumptions that we were raised on that stem from a radical revolutionary moment in our not too distant past mm -hmm. so i think it's important to understand that there are 
I remember when I showed up at Harvard and they immediately taught me about like supply and demand. And my father was like, don't go to Harvard, you'll be a socialist. And I was like, wow, supply and demand. <laughs> I didn't think they would do that at all. But see, we think that we think differently, but really that is part of it's, you know, like what do they call it? Homo economicus or something mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. is our cultural framework and everything keys off that, but maybe it's wrong. Mm-hmm. I'm starting to think that way. Some of the things you were saying, I like hearing you talk about the church aspect of things. There was a time when we spoke and you said you were almost nominally Catholic, but you were starting to feel more pulled towards it. And I think you mentioned even for your children's sake or something Mm -hmm. along that line. Do you feel, let's say that was nine or 10 months ago, has there been any more pull towards it? Well, the COVID period. Mm. Yeah. One thing, one like a major revelation, like as the I'm going to say as the flower blooms rather than as I peel the onion. But, you know, as the flower blooms, there was one new thing I would add. And that is, so I struggle with faith. Struggle with faith, intellectually, the idea that I am going to know my own name and be transported to a euphoria, utopia, after my death is absolutely preposterous. Like that, on one hand, it's just ridiculous. It's like Tolstoy used to go through this. He's just like, it's absolutely ridiculous. And then on the, another day you wake up and you're just like to think that we just popped into existence out of thin air with the ability for abstract thought and an impetus, like a moral impetus is just ridiculous. It's just ridiculous to think that the universe just ordered itself out of nothing. Like whether it was a dot or not, <laughs> the Big Bang doesn't help me at all. Mm-hmm. Darwin's theory is mathematically impossible. Mm-hmm. Even And even if it were it, where did the dot come from? Like, you've got to always get back to that dot. There's no dot. There's no origin. The prime mover unmoved. So I don't know the answer to that. But one thing happened probably around when we talked and then something happened more recently. I just, I had been thinking, and this is why I had stopped doing the news every single day. One of the mm-hmm. reasons is that mm-hmm. I just didn't have time to think. And I was like, there is a code to crack, a big picture code here. Mm-hmm. How do we defeat these people? They're just keeping us occupied all the time so we cannot crack the code. And I was shocked, shocked to conclude that God is the answer. Like, whether he exists or not, God is the only hope. The only hope is that there is the true nature of the universe is good. Yeah. And if it isn't, nothing I can do is going to make it good. And if it is, nothing I can do is going to stop that. I can not contribute bad if I'm, you know, I don't go out of my, like, I, I try not to be bad, but that's not the same as being good. Mm-hmm. Not ready to be good yet. But then, okay, so that's kind of where I was with the COVID thing. It's like, you know what? It's amazingly, it was around the time that the priest sent me this book because I was like, I need a new way of thinking. And boy, was this a new way of thinking. I only got about a third of the way through because it, it started to freak me out. Like, I just wasn't ready <laughs> to digest anymore. Mm-hmm. And I will. But then more recently, and it's so funny because my mother... She always like, I'll talk to her about, try to talk to her about metaphysical things. And she'll say like, I am really, that intellectual stuff, I'm not really a thinker. I'm just not really, that's for you kids. It's for you kids. So I would ask her like, you know, why don't you have doubts? Like, why don't you, whatever. And she said, well, you know, it's not that, it's just that when I was like 19 years old, I just thought it's a better way to live. And I just didn't really think about it too much after that. And wow. I mean, this is a woman who prays four hours a day, you know, wow. and just like literally maybe it was two weeks ago, I just thought, 
It's just a better way to live. Yes, it is. But it's maybe this is the mathy part of my brain. It's also so fascinating to dwell on and think on and read on. And the more you find out about church history and church fathers and saints, like that's beyond fascinating to me. So I wish I could just go, well, it's just a better way to live. And then my mind would be free. <laughs> I mean, my mind is free, but I'm constantly reading on this stuff, but I am I love it. It's fascinating. Well, I did too. So when I was at, so at Easter, I had this like massive revelation. I don't know what I had. I had a thought that informed, you know, helped me understand something. And it was this, that the passion of Christ always moves me. Yes, And same. like profoundly. And my son, I said that to him, like during mass, he was just like, how could it not? Nice. Nice. So I was thinking, I've always had this puzzle, but I like, I had an insight into what I think, if I may presume. But why did Jesus have to suffer for our sins? Like, why was human sacrifice or his sacrifice? Why was that required? Like, was that seems kind of arbitrary for that's what God requires. And I started to think, that, and maybe this is like doctrine, so maybe I'm just remembering it from the shadows of my youth, but I just feel like he's suffering because he loves us. And when we're bad, it hurts us. And he just loves us. And then, and I, and then I had a further insight, which was that like, so I have, I remember stupid things I said from like when I was 12 years old. Like, I, I think it's probably a chick thing, but like, I just think like I'm in the town I grew up in and I'm just like, oh, if I see that girl, oh my gosh, she's going to remember. Oh, sure. That yeah. time, you know, and it's so stupid, you know, and it's just so stupid. There's no, even if she does remember, I don't remember the stupid things she did. Everybody does stupid things. So I was just thinking, I can't stand it. I don't even want to be in this town because I remember being stupid when I was a kid. And this same priest said to me, like, when you have like all that anxiety and doubt or whatever, like that's the devil, like. dissipating your energy, robbing your peace of mind. And I thought, if I think of the social faux pas as sin, Mm -hmm. I could not, I would not be worthy of heaven Mm -hmm. if I had that kind of baggage. So like the Catholic concept of purgatory, Mm -hmm. every single thing that I've along the way, I've been like, that's stupid. Why do you know, that's just stupid. Like, I don't, I reject that. And now I'm like, I totally get it. And I'm sorry mm. that like I enhanced your suffering. And if I can atone for it, that would be great. I'm going to try now. I'm going to try not to. And then like bums me out. It's like seven times, 70 times a day. I'm just going to make it worse. I'm like, mm-hmm. that sucks. <laughs> but, you know, I try to, in my own way, like I like to offer up like doing little things, doing the mm-hmm. dishes. Mm-hmm. I'll do it. I just try to like, that's how I do it. I, and I'm making my own rules up. So whatever. I don't know if that's good or not. So I was thinking, what is it that he wants? And I was looking for this book and I knew my mother would have it. She's so sharp, 94. I was like, do you have that book, mom? And she says, it's in a box in the basement underneath the picture with the guy from Mexico. Uh, And so I went downstairs and I couldn't find it. And I was like, it's not here. And then I stopped. I was walking back up the stairs and I stopped. I said, there is no way she's wrong. So I took out every book and it was right on the bottom of the box, 94. The Imitation of Christ by Thomas Akempis. Okay. So this is a book that I never picked up because even though it was always in my house, this doesn't look like the original copy, but the one that was always in my house, my mother would say, oh, that one's hard. That one's hard to read. I can't read that one. And look at how skinny it is. Right. I haven't read it, but I picked this up. And then this was another one that I found right next to it. 
And I thought that was interesting. interesting. Rene Descartes meditations on first philosophy, because like every there's like this is Rene Descartes. There's like six meditations. And one of them I happen to notice said concerning the essence of material things. And again, concerning God that he exists and concerning the nature of the human mind and God that he exists. So like, I haven't read it yet, but look mm-hmm. at how skinny that one is. Yeah. But the Imitation of Christ one, I just thought it's probably going to be, it's not hard to read. It's mm-hmm. probably just hard to do. And mm. I'm never going to do it. But I feel like maybe if you educate yourself, something in the back of your mind will add to the right impulses instead of the wrong impulses. Mm-hmm. Do you know how Descartes died? No. I, I think this is true. It. He got ran over by a horse. I'm okay. pretty sure that's how. And that's why they always say, don't put Descartes before the horse. Oh, fuck. That's a terrible joke. I'm but bearing I, my soul to you. <laughs> and you're giving me dad jokes. No. <laughs> I think that is how he died. And there's a joke around it because okay. of that, this, the stupidity well, part. Yeah. He says, I think, therefore I am. And that's probably a great place to start with the divine spark. There's going to be some Orthodox people that hear that and are yep. reading also. What is because, it? What's the problem? Because that I think, therefore I am, is a oh, materialist. Oh, like homo Correct. Rather than I exist because the Lord yeah. exists, that kind of thing. That's a great point because my son, the biggest problem I had when my son was born with Down syndrome mm-hmm. is that I truly associated the nobility of man with intellect. Mm-hmm. And actually, a priest told me once I hadn't mentioned that, but he said, oh, these children have the most brilliant, I think he said, like, intellect. Like, there's something, some word that, like, just means something different that what was human about him was actually more, not less. And was it his energies, maybe? It, I think, I literally think it's was, called the intellect. Like, let me see. Because in the Orthodox Church, we discuss that you were, we're here to take part in Christ's uncreated energies when they're all the good things. And the inversion of those energies are bad things, right? So humility is a good energy, the inversion of its pride, et cetera. So I didn't know if you meant your son had those, an easier shot at taking part in the beautiful energies rather than letting the darkness of the world. Yes, that's what I think. And, okay. and in a way that like an animal couldn't. Correct. See, because when you have to look at a person who isn't intelligent. I mean, he's quite intelligent for someone with Down syndrome, but you have to look at somebody who isn't intelligent and still, because people want to say that we're just like monkeys with Mm -hmm. whatever, who have evolved the ability to abstract thought. And his ability to abstract is really low. Mm -hmm. And still, like his compassion and even like selflessness. Yes. I don't think you would ever see that in the animal kingdom. Right. Yeah, that's... And by isolating it, you know, you can observe it. Like he shows it to you in a pure form. <laughs> this is such a cool chat. I have not read one thing I wrote down so far for our chat. Oh my gosh. Well, but that's, just how, that's how natural and... this is. I know. It's <laughs> awesome. I did want to ask, I think you had eight siblings. Yes. And I think you were the youngest. Yes. How was that girl? Or were they all in that little house behind you that you're yeah, sitting I'm in? Yeah, in a little, little house. I don't think we all ever lived here at okay. once. 
I'm my oldest brother was 18 years old when I was born. And I don't know if he lived in the house. Then my oldest sister was 17 when I was born. Okay. And the next brother volunteered for Vietnam. So he left and was not back for a long time. And then, I mean, it was so weird because my father is a World War II vet. And then the 60s happened. And when you think of the difference between World War II vets and like their baby boomer children, it's, I mean, shocking to see because the stuff you see from the 60s is still shocking. Like, you know, naked people running across the bridge or whatever, Mm -hmm. you know, and I'm like, that must have really made him wonder what was Mm -hmm. it all for. Uh, Yeah. So we had that. The 60s were the first half of the family. Then the 70s was the next half. And then I was born, like the 80s was my, like I was in high school during the 80s. Okay. So I was of a total, I was like a Reagan kid and like a nerd, like the, I wasn't in Tomorrow Majority, but we had already had like a massive countercultural shift in the country. And I loved John Paul II and I loved Reagan and whatever. Yeah, okay. So it was different for me, but... I just witnessed, so my oldest brother died of AZT poisoning, but he was a lifetime, lifelong drug user. And they gave, they said he had AIDS, even though he had no symptoms. They gave him AZT and he was like, oh, that killed me. What is AZT? AZT was the drug they gave people for AIDS, but it's, it was a, it was a class X. (laughs) It was a toxin. Okay. Yikes. Okay. It just killed them. And AIDS stopped killing people when they stopped giving them AZT in Mm. my observation. Okay. So, but, you know, you lose connection with people who, that divine spark, it's like the opposite of Down syndrome. And have you ever read The Great Divorce by C.S. Lewis? That is so funny. You were like now the third person within three weeks to bring that up. Really? I've not read it yet. I am definitely going to. There's one scene where a little like weird wormy monkey is walking like a giant kind of carcass of a man. And... As you get closer, you realize that that weird wormy monkey is the man. And that like the body's just the shell. And like that's what happens when people are on drugs for a long time. I can hardly have. Got it. I have like almost no tolerance at this point for people who are on drugs, like for any conversation whatsoever. I mean, I like to have cocktails. There is. And I would always say like get high on booze because it's similar. But there's something about that chronic because it becomes 24-7 and you just, there's no access to that person anymore and they become desperate and weird. It's just, it's dehumanizing at the most fundamental level. And he, so you lose your connection with those people anyway. So it doesn't, it's not as tragic as if an innocent person mm-hmm. dies in an accident or something. And then the middle girl, she became a drug addict. I mean, perhaps because she grew up in a household druggies. And she lasted many years as a drug addict, but I think it literally like physically eroded her mind and she just became not a sane person, but she did die of a drug overdose in this room. And uh, yeah, in this room. And um, it was really tragic because she was, she like, people do this sometimes, like they, so she, I think it was reported that she attempted suicide, but it's possible and I think likely that she knew how far she could bring like taking pills or whatever so that she could get in the hospital and get the pills she wanted. Mm-hmm. Like that kind of weird thing. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Once they got her in the hospital, they kept her there for 60 days and they cleaned her up and she hadn't been clean in like 30 years. Wow. So we were trying to get them to hold her longer because we knew, my one of my sisters and I were like, 
If they let her out, she will die within 24 hours because she just doesn't understand how much less drugs she needs to do. And other people are saying, you're a libertarian, you can't get her committed. Mm-hmm. I'm like, she's not a person <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. of sound mind. Like, I, she's my family. Like, I'm responsible for her. And I have a right to, I'm not a government putting a gun to her head. Like, I'm, if the government didn't take that role, and this is a legal concept that I learned in law school. Like, if somebody is in the role of protector, you don't have to help somebody. But if you keep other people from helping, then you have to help them. Mm-hmm. You are legally liable. If somebody's choking at your table at dinner and right. you tell everybody in the restaurant, I got it. You got to do it. You have to. Otherwise, yeah. get out of the way. And the government's there. They had her in the hospital. They took her. They cleaned her up. Like, there, there was no resolution outside that paradigm. And I don't know why, but they kicked her back out on the street. They, you know, she was on tons of like welfare or whatever. They would drive her to the methadone clinic and I don't know what, but within 24 hours, she was dead. And I, she did. Okay. So they, it was, but by then she was really, I feel lost to us, really lost. Like, I just don't think we're ever going to get her back. It would have been nice if we could have accommodated her, but she was gone. And so there was a lot of drugs. And I had the reason I was telling you all this is that. I feel like I had the an advantage and I see it in my own children that when you're the youngest and you see like really bad decisions, you can learn from other people's mistakes. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah. And I just, I was, one of my sisters and I like had the same mantra. It's so funny. And we're like, oh my gosh, that's what I used to say. Oh my gosh, that's what I used to say. No heroin. <laughs> like that we were so wild so out of control but like all of us like in the lower echelon were like never do heroin and like yeah. i feel like that's definitely sound advice that's good <laughs> like, right, never do right. heroin but uh you know there's probably a little more you could layer on top of that never do but i just feel like i was saved from a life of self-destruction because i could see how bad i was even though i think emotionally i wasn't in that kind of environment, no matter how hard your parents try or how much they want to be there for you, they're just, it's not an ideal environment for someone to shape a stable personality. Right. So it was a struggle for me to like stay on the straight and narrow and like achieve things because sometimes you'll have like self-respect issues and you won't actually want to achieve things. So fortunately, I, uh. I was always like, this is something that was, I was lucky in my family. I always did great on standardized tests. So, was that sun starting to blind you? Yeah. Sorry. Did I just show you my belly? No. Oh, God. It didn't. <laughs> I my shirt went up. If it did, okay. it'd be Bobby to uh, edit it for us. So yes. Bobby would have to edit that little skin. So, I used to do great on standardized tests. So, I was just encouraged a lot. Like, people would say encouraging things to me. I didn't really like, I didn't do particularly well in school, like socially or anything. The teachers didn't like me. I never got the awards or anything, but I would get like the highest grade on those tests. And people would say, oh, you can, you could mm. really go places. Mm-hmm. Like you could go to Harvard, you know? And, and I you did. Right. Because it was in my mind. And that's why I feel like that's, that was enough to give me confidence and hope. And that was important. And then, but still my behavior was bad. I was not very well behaved. And that's another thing that like class will do, like being really blue collar, a lot of people dropping out, maybe your weekend warriors, you know, all the people come over getting AFU'd because 
you don't have enough money to do something super cool, but you have enough money for a six pack of beer. I've always noticed that. Like if you have just yes. enough money to let your hair down and you just, you get into bad habits and stuff. Like it, it's really a disadvantage to, you just don't even know sometimes till it's too late what is really possible for you. That's why like when they want to cut out standardized tests in colleges, I think that's kids like me, like that, sometimes that's your only hope, especially if you're not just an SJW who can fill out every single yeah. a- element of the application to like, I am the political person you want. I am a yeah. political animal. I am on the left. I am woke. You could at least say, I can move the ball forward. And I, and so for me, I did kind of limp along. I was successful, but I just wasn't, I just really, I was my own worst enemy a lot of times because I would then drag all the bankers out to drink till from four in the morning and mm. get stupid drunk and like, oh, come on, I, I could do more shots than you. Like an asshole. So just a freaking idiot. And I told this story recently that my husband, who's not my type in any way, like no offense to Texas, but I was like envisioning being like a princess. And I get this like guy from Texas who makes beer in the backyard. <laughs> I was like, uh, but he picked me because he thought I was cool. And he just needed something. Like he was smart. He was smart. And he was looking ahead. He was like, we're in business school and law school together. And he was just like, I need, I want to focus on my career. So I need to like pick somebody now. It was just like, oh, that chick can hang. Yeah. <laughs> like you, you're with me. And I was like, oh, really? But you know, my time. He's like, don't worry about it. I was like, okay. And it was great because, and I really discovered like it was totally transforming that he loved me unconditionally. Nothing I could do could make him even notice like he wouldn't even notice that it was bad. And then I just stopped doing the bad things. Mm-hmm. Just didn't make an impact at all. And he's still, he's like, hey, we've got a business dinner. You want to come? And I'm like, are you out of your mind? <laughs> you do not like your bosses having dinner with me. Like the shit I say, not acceptable. He's like, oh, you're cute. I'm like, no, no, <laughs> nobody wants me there. So sometimes it makes me go, but usually it doesn't. But, he, but you know, I try to clean up, but it's just nuts. Like I can't, I, I keep waiting for the other shoe to drop and someone should be like, yeah. But, you know, your wife's got to go. What do, but anyway, but it's good. it was so good for the soul. What do your siblings think of your, let's say, politics and ideas and around the stuff we talk about? Well, let's see. I've got, there's a liberal. There are a couple of like, I would say, so she just thinks I'm paranoid, I think. And then there's, I think most of them fall in the kind of, center or center right kind of thing there's a few okay. like trump supporters okay and so my mother i remember like the transformation of my mother so i was on the radio starting in 2011 or 2012 and she'd say everything is fake with you everything mm-hmm. everything's mm-hmm. fake then i come home one day and we're watching tv fake news fake news. i was like oh because that guy who you used to think was a philandering lowlife tells you that this guy is a liar that you believe not your own flesh and blood so so i it's funny because they and i noticed rush used to do this too rush Limbaugh used to do he would open that overton window a little bit yes to get yeah just a rush of credibility i mean just would just literally rush in to run like just so much credibility and I remember one time I had said, I had this like, ah, more. It's like, they don't raise the tax brackets to take your money. They raise it to neutralize you so you can't go all Ron Paul. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. Ron Paul goes to Washington. Like, 
no, right. no, no. And I've been on that treadmill for the longest time. And by the time I get, not me, but like my husband, by the time we get off it, we're already ready to retire. We're just like, oh my gosh, just please make it stop. And we're not going to Washington. And and I heard Rush say that once, just in passing, not a big deal. And people like, you know, that's true. I'm like, that's what I'm, I'm paranoid. Yeah. And then, right. So, so I would say they're like mostly Rush. Like they'll try to explain things to me that they heard on Tucker. Yes. And I'll be like, well, Tucker is a propagandist, which is fine. And like, but he's so right. I'm like, of course, it's like the Stones. It's not going to mm-hmm. work if it's not good. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and oh, I love the Stones, but I don't know. Tavistock, I don't know. Right. Right. <laughs> Before we get out of here, this could totally be hours more. Just, <laughs> and I had written these down because there's a few quote unquote conspiracies that I've not looked into at all. But just on the surface, is the Las Vegas, I mean, I know the answer to this, but I yeah, just yeah. want to hear just a quick elevator pitch. The Las Vegas shooting, I was going to ask, is the narrative on it true? I'm not even sure what the narrative is, to be quite honest yeah. at this point, that this guy shot out a window of, it's a hotel I've stayed at. I want to say it was the Mandalay Bay. I can't remember for sure. Is it the MGM Grand? Is that what it is? MGM, MGM. Grand. Okay. I don't know. I don't Down know. Down to a quote unquote country music festival. And then he killed himself and that was it. I think that's the narrative. The reason I don't, I can't answer you, but I will tell you who can, is that for sure happened after Valentine's Day 2018. And okay. on February 14th, 2018, when the Parkland thing happened, Okay. That is when the internet shut down and I tried to find the answers to stuff and they were no longer, they're just, there was no crowdsourced truth. And that's how I used to find the answers to things. Oh. And at that time, I was like, okay, I called it on that day because I had a show that Saturday, WSB show, and I had to find the answers. I was like, oh crap, I can't tell people what really happened because it's scrubbed, completely scrubbed. And I got on the air and it was like, the internet died today. And then my website was, six months later it's so stupid not to know that was coming but i knew that was the day and i said at that point i said you know what i used to spend weeks like digging into every single thing so like anything i know about is gonna be played that day and then and my answer was you know what i can walk you through any of those if you don't see a pattern by the time i get you through the boston marathon bombing and the thing in connecticut and mh370 if you don't or 9-11, like if you don't see that pattern and you need me to explain to you the next ones, it's wasting my time. Like it's an entire industry is now emerging around trying to figure out what really happened. But with that one, I really don't know. And I, I, I mean, I know people who say they have relatives who died in that. Okay. So I assume people died. I can't mm-hmm. understand how, like, I feel like the, that glass, like I don't even know how you would bust it out or I was just like, my guess is it would take two and a half minutes for a helicopter to take that guy out. So anything that happened after two and a half minutes, but I think it really only took like two and a half minutes. Yeah. But there was a woman named Debbie Luzignan, I think. Debbie L-U-S-I-G-N-A-N, I believe. And it was reported she died of suicide. And apparently she had completely cracked the code on Vegas. And I can, I didn't watch the her stuff on that, but I will find for you yeah, I'd be the, curious. Yeah, I'll find for you that it was a bit shoot video where I found it. Yes, I have heard about this now. And in the comments section, it's the most vile, anti-Semitic. Like, I, I had to, I couldn't watch it because the comments were so awful, like, awful. 
that I did not want it on my screen. And that's what they were there for. Yeah, of course. That's what they were there for. Yeah, that's by design. But I've always meant to get back to that. And so just my viewpoint on those things are, I'm firmly, I firmly believe that anything, it's like the FAA. This shit, it's not achievable. Or like 9-11, it's not achievable. It's not achievable. Even the supply chain stuff that, that it's just, it's not going, the system works. It's always worked. It works. And if they, if it's happening, it's happening for, they, they did it. Mm-hmm. That's and a, they do it for reasons. And they do it. You can read in the report for Ryan Mountain, which I want to get to with you yes. and Jody and Bobby on. It's 80 pages. So easy. Yes. They say that, like, you don't have to, like, have an event and then institute a policy. You There is a number. They can run a computer model. This was from 60 years ago. They can run a computer model and determine how many people have to die for people to change their attitude about policy. Right. So they don't even have to make a stink about it. They don't have to connect those dots for you. They just need to pepper your mind with those dots. And, you know. And then going from trying to make what I would call a blue pill person understand the patterns and whatnot, swinging all the way the other side. Do you ever see people in the conspiracy world? There's a nature of some of them that I would say is almost postmodern, where they suffer from postmodern, where literally there's nothing that's real or nothing's true. Oh, that's not true. Oh, that's not fake. It's like, yeah, you have to believe that something's real, don't you? Do you ever see that too? It's really difficult for me. And like there was a parking structure. Let me, this will help me understand. Parking structure collapsed in New York City I just yesterday. saw that yesterday. Okay. The fact that you're aware of it. Yes. Ways towards, and I was just watching the news and the guy said, I heard a boom and then the thing collapsed. And I'm like, well, I can imagine like something popping, something breaking would be a pop. Like it could be real. But I also know that I've read things about how they are plotting to eliminate parking in New York so that there are no cars. And my mother just told me today they're not letting cars go to Times Square anymore or they're about to do that. So did they Mm. allow the inspection because the inspection was like, it's got bad inspections in that thing. Do they just not like come back and check on parking garages? It's possible. Do Do I need to know? No, but I would say pretty much every time I've given something the benefit of the doubt that seems to have a policy agenda, I've been wrong. Mm. Yeah. So I worry a little bit about that, but I also feel like it's not none of it, whether you think it's all fake or all real or somewhere in between, absolutely none of it matters if you have the fortitude and the presence of mind to really understand and stick to your principles. Mm -hmm. You cannot, those, it does not matter. The news doesn't matter. Don't even watch this. You know, if somebody comes for your chickens, you know, and you're not aware that things have been leading up to that, you are going to have to defend your chickens at the point of a gun. Like that is going to be the time and place for you to stand up for your principles. I'm a process person. I feel like that we still have laws in place and we still have process in place and we should stay aware of chicken laws and fight them. And I know you are part of that active person in that way. I just, I feel like it doesn't, the stories that they spin and they have to put real ones in there or it would absolutely not have any credibility at all. Right. But the stories that they spin, the propaganda machine, the real stories are part of the whole effectiveness thing of it. It's the whole right. thing of, yeah, I mean, they didn't pick the stones 
to be the cultural change agents because they weren't going to catch on, <laughs> you know? Right, right. They, they, you just, you have to do a good job. And the only way, the only thing you can do is to go back to your principles. And honestly, this is where we can come full circle and say that really God is the only thing that matters, whether he's real or not, because the only thing you can control and the answer to the question of light is the same whether there's a God or not. Like at the end of the day, are you a contented person who had a life well lived, who had a good life? And my mother's like, he had the good life, not a good life, these people. <laughs> yeah, I'm talking about <laughs> a good life. Like if you, re- if you, then you die and either way, whatever's next, you've done the most you can do. You know that inherently. And if you're afraid of death or whatever, or you're hopeless in this life, live like that. And like Pascal's wager isn't just about paying off. It's, and other religions have yoga, the yoga sutras, Patanjali, like you live this life, whether there's a God or not, because the answer is the same. That was a peaceful way to end. Plug your work. What do you got coming Uh, up? Thank you. So I am, you can find everything that I do on Deep Dives with Monica Perez on your favorite podcasting platform. This has been this last year and probably another six months, I've been in a little bit of a, you know, I used to put out something every single day, six days a week at least. And now maybe down That's to tough. three days or two days. Yeah. But I'm still trying to just take a step back, think things through. I'm doing a lot of traveling, spend time with my mom, which is, you know, a great use of time and effort. And also like I just bought a house. I decided to stay in I mean, I have no choice but to stay in L.A., but I decided that I'm going to engage. If I can't take the Benedict option, I'm going to stay and I'm mm-hmm. going to start figuring things out. I might have to pick your brain on that, how to get involved and care. So hopefully you like still what I'm doing. I love these kind of conversations. And I also, anything I do on video is on rockfin.com slash deep dives. And if you watch show notes, because I do do a lot of research when I do a, a proper deep dive, monicasdeepdives.com. And I also have a little newsletter there with, a blog and cocktail recipes yeah. and I have a glossary of all the of all like a, a new one I'm going to put next week's next month's glossary is the basket of irrationals so you know it? we're the basket of deplorables uh-huh like the other basket is the basket of irrationals nice because they're communists who want you to keep your hands off their bodies yeah and have vax mandates and you just you know so I guess I'm a deplorable yeah, fair enough. Same here. Monica Perez, thank you so much for being here. Live from, is it from New York? Yeah, live from New York. Nice. <laughs> it's nice. Monica Perez. <laughs> yes, thank you so much. Thank you, bud.